Welcome to Last Ones at the Bar. This is a show where we rank our top 10 in different topics. We will discuss and rank our top favorite fighters of all time. Most of the time, uh, we like to have a criteria to make the list more objective. But this week, the only objective is to explain the fighters you selected that made your list. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm joined by two other gentlemen, uh, Lavelle and Daniel. Yep. Yep, I'm Lavelle Jackson. Uh, I'm, I'm just grateful to be on the show and grateful uh, that these gentlemen reached out to me to be part of this. My name is Daniel. Um, I've known these guys for about five years. That's about half of my my life as a boxing fan and so uh yeah honestly honored to to be on the show with these guys because you know they know so much about the sport all right appreciate that um and then also just to let everybody know uh we met at buffalo wild wings uh like you said about five years ago i think it was uh september of 2000 actually like 2016 actually, um, at a Canelo. I think Canelo's fighting Liam Smith. Am I correct? Liam Smith, yeah. 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 All right. So we're going to get into our list of our favorite fighters of all time. I have a couple fighters that I could have, that could have made my list and it's kind of um, at the end of my list, it, it could have, they, they actually could have made that um, either like number 10 or number 9. But starting my list off, all right, so my number 10 favorite fighter of all time is Donald Curry, the Lone Star Cobra. Um, I first recognized Donald or I first saw Donald fight against Roger Stafford back around 1982-1983, and he knocked out Roger Stafford in the first round. It, that intrigued me because Milt McCorry had just fought Roger Stafford, and he took him the whole um, took him to the decision. And so when I noticed that I, like I said, I had not seen Donald Curry before. And just the way he performed, how intelligent of a craftsman he was inside the ring, um, that's when I took notice. Then later on, I saw him fight against Marlon Starling about a year later. And then he really impressed me when I saw him fight against this guy um, named Nino LaRocco. So um, Donald Curry, to me, when you look at his fighting style, like I said, he was a very intelligent craftsman. Um, he was real composed inside the ring, real economical with his punches. Um, he had a lot of power, but what I like about him most is that he never overexerted himself. He always conserved his energy. And so, um, I think from around 1983 through 86, I don't think it's anybody historically in boxing that he couldn't have competed with because he was just that potent. And so on my list, um, Donald Curry is my number 10 favorite fighter of all time. Okay. Yeah. I, I like Donald Curry. Uh, I thought he was very underrated with, uh, with Marlon Strong and also uh, Mark Breland. Those were the guys that were kind of the underdogs of the eighties because they weren't necessarily superstars for their, you know, they can pretty much do it all. Uh, but I'm going to jump to my uh, number 10. My number 10 was uh, actually James Tony. Um, 
I watch a lot. I've been watching a lot of James Tony on YouTube, and I watch a lot of his fights. You know, coming up, uh, he's one of the most fluid people I've seen uh, switch between effective defense and offense, and he mixes it together so so perfectly. And he has power. Like when you look at the middleweight version of Tony, I mean, he was using defense and still knocking guys out. I mean, uh, he knocked out. Uh, um, Mike Nunn, you know, that was a, a good win for him. Um, if you ever want to uh, learn a lot about, about how a boxing match goes, I mean, uh, his fight with Mike McCallum, that's just like, it's like, wow, if you're a boxing purist, you'll probably love it. Um, James did suffer from not being as dedicated as he probably could have been. And, and had he been uh, dedicated to the fullest of his, his ability, he probably would have been I mean, all-time great. So that's my number 10. All right. So I'm going to go – before I go to my number nine, I'm going to backtrack a little bit about Donald Curry. Donald Curry, I remember um, he – the biggest win that he had was in that unification match with Milt McCourt, second-round knockout. I'm talking about a thing of beauty, that left hand that connected and knocked Milt McCourt out. But um, – like I said, his, his peak was around 83 through 86. Some of this, like reviewing some of these fights, it kind of felt like therapy because I felt like I was going back through some of the times that I really was upset about certain losses that fight, fighters had. And that fight that he had with Lloyd Hunnigan, that was a disappointing loss that he had. That kind of put an end to his reign. But then a couple of years later, he came back and he was taking on Mike McCallum. And he was beating Mike McCallum through the first five rounds of that fight. And he made a fatal mistake of taking a step back and dropping his hand. And Mike McCallum landed the perfect left hand, lights out. And so I just wanted to add that in about uh, Donald Curry, um, what kind of led to his demise. Now, you just said James Tony. James Tony, I... I respect James Tony to the fullest, you know, it's based on the skills that he had. And um, it's like he one of them type of dudes that he can just drive to a gym and he'll be able to compete against anybody inside the gym because he was just such a natural. That's what I respected about him. But he kind of contributed to the demise or he did contribute to the demise of my number nine fighter. My number nine fighter of all time was Michael Nunn. Michael Nunn to me, he was like the nearest thing that you're going to, if you haven't watched Michael Nunn fight before, watch him from 88 through 90. 88 through 90, as I was about to say, he was like the nearest thing to like the 1960s Muhammad Ali that you will ever see. Had the same trainer, Angelo Dundee. He was flashy. He was flamboyant. If you look at some of the fights that he had against Frank Tate, oh, my God. Um, Sambu Kalambe. Um, first time I saw him was against Curtis Parker. If you see that fight, it's very reminiscent of Ali Frazier because Curtis Parker was a little short guy that threw a lot of like left hooks and things like that. And he was fighting against the 1960 version of Ali. And Curtis Parker was also from Philadelphia. Um, but I'm telling you, and at the time when he lost his middleweight championship, that was in... I want to say like May of 91. 
because I know because I was in Iowa at the time. I was in Davenport, Iowa. And I, I came back home. I didn't see that fight, but I came back home and they were replaying it. And he was the first five rounds that he was letting James have it. Like, I'm not going to say let him have it, but he was really uh, doing a number on him. And then he ended up getting tired and getting caught with that vicious left hook from James Tony, And it was lights out. But number nine, um, for me, is Michael Nunn. Also with that, Michael Nunn was so good, EPMD is one of my favorite groups. And I remember Redman was rapping on one of their songs called Hardcore, and he had that um, line on there that he was saying. Black hair is like Mike Nunn. Black hair is like Mike Nunn. Yep, yep. <laughs> but that's my number nine fighter. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, my number nine fighter um, is Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, growing up, I really didn't like Sugar Ray Leonard that much. I mean, uh, you know, he's the pretty boy. He was the popular guy. He was the guy they, they gave all the, you know, the fame and juice. Basically, they gave him the mantle from Muhammad Ali, you know. Um, and he was just that guy, very popular. But I can't deny, like, uh, some of the things he did, and over time, I got to respect him more. Like, as far as he didn't, he he took on Roberto Duran. He he lost that first fight. He his pride got him to got him into a try to brawl with Duran. He, he, you know, he he took that hard loss. But instead of you know crying about it, making excuses, you know, he went back. He beat Duran again. You know, then people were saying he was ducking Hearns. Uh, and people were calling. People were actually at the press conference after the post-fight press conference after uh, Roberto Duran. They were talking, asking him about, you know, um, Tommy Hearns. And Tommy Hearns is a scary fighter. I mean, scary. Like I watched Tommy Hearns. I wouldn't want to be in the ring with Tommy Hearns. And she really took on that fight. He fought many different styles. He fought um, guys with great defense, with better defense than he has with like uh, Benitez. Benitez had. Uh, Pretty exceptional defense, and and Sugar Ray Leonard would take those challenges. Um, and I can't knock him for beating my guy, which is Marvin Hagler. I mean, he he, he whether you uh, agree with that decision or not, he has that W. He did what he had to do to get that W, and that's my number guy. All right, my number eight is the Eastern Assassin, Larry Holmes. Man, I remember the first time I saw Larry Holmes fight. He was fighting against Ernie Shavers, and he he beat Ernie Shavers. I want to say in like a twelve round decision, and then maybe that year or later that year, he ended up in that barn burner against Ken Norton. They were going at it for fifteen rounds, and he ended up winning. It may have been a split decision, but it was a razor thin decision that he won against Ken Norton. But they were going at it. That's like a classic bout. Then I saw him a little bit later. And I remember watching um, – I was watching football. It was like Sunday. So on Sunday, sometimes what they would do is they would show highlights of um, different fighters. And I remember him being in a match against Mike Weaver. Mike Weaver, he may have not been winning the fight, but he was on the verge of knocking out Larry Holmes. And then Larry Holmes, late in that fight, he caught him with something and, and put him away. And so, um, but he has a win on his resume against Ali as well. But Ali was at towards the end of his career, was at the end of his career. Um, and I remember like my most memorable 
moment thinking about Larry Holmes is that Jerry Cooney fight because you had it was such a big fight. It was like the great white hype against, you know, uh, Larry Holmes. And Cooney had just knocked out Ken Norton in the first round. And so it was like a huge fight. And I remember my sister used to get fights on HBO. And we went over there to check that out um, June of that, that summer. And so um, Larry did his thing, you know. Um, he also, his demise came towards the end of his career when he fought Michael Spinks, those two fights. And um, it really was, was tough watching the fight against Mike Tyson when he came out of retirement. And, um, but yeah, yeah. And then later on, you know, he made, re, you know, rejuvenated himself, came back for Holyfield. And then he fought like Jesse Ferguson. Um, he beat Ray Mercer. And so, uh, number eight, Larry Holmes is my, I'm sorry, number, Larry Holmes is my number eight favorite fighter of all time. Um, my number eight fighter is, uh, Actually, Pernell Whitaker. Um, what can I say? About I mean, he had, he had one of probably a top ten defense of all time. I mean, he wasn't afraid of anyone. I mean, I think because his defense is so good, I a lot of people underrated how tough he actually was. He was a proficient body puncher. I mean, he could hurt you. No one was just walking through his punches. He just some sometimes he, he focused more on defense than he went sit down with punches. But he can definitely hurt a lot of people. I remember he was uh, down against the fight with uh, Hurtado. Uh, and a lot of people were, you know, he, he was even past it then. And a lot of people were laughing at him. and thought he was going to lose. The commentary commentators were kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. And, he, and the, the, the super fight with him and De La Hoy was still in the play. And he came back in the 11th round and just turned it on. And it st- stopped Hurtado with a, a series of, of lefts, of straight lefts. Um, I thought he won the fight with uh, Julio Cesar Chavez. Sometimes I don't even, even though the record book says a draw, I, it's hard for me to even count that, even though one of my laws go by what the record book says. I, it's hard to, to, to count that one. He uh, fought a lot of tough guys who were underrated, like Roger Mayweather. He um, also fought um, Buddy McGirt, which is twice, which is uh, Buddy McGirt is, is another underrated fighter. He fought Azuma Nelson, beat with Azuma Nelson, who was a, a Hall of Famer, all time great. Um, I believe he, if he was even the fight with De La Hoya, it was it wasn't that far off. It was it was a very close fight. On the first viewing, I thought Whitaker edged it. Uh, if Whitaker would have been about even just three years younger, he probably would have won that fight. Um, and then his career, because you could tell even after that, his career went kind of downhill with his losses to uh, Trinidad. Um, that's my number eight. All right. So, uh, Danny, I know that you your list starts at number seven. Do you want to go ahead and start yours now? Uh, yeah, okay. sure. And just to give you guys who are listening a background, um, yeah, because the reason why you didn't hear my voice uh, since the intros basically is because um, I don't have the history that these other guys do with the sport. So my fighter is going to be a little bit more recent, first of all. And I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do a list injustice, and I, and I, I wanted to really just make a list based strictly off of fighters that I have personally seen and can resonate with. Um, that said, I do have two honorable mention 
honorable mentions for fighters who were before my time, I guess technically before all of our time. Um, but I really resonate with their stories and what they stood for and really what they did for the sport of boxing. So uh, my first honorable mention is uh, the first black heavyweight champ, Jack Johnson. And um, in, in general, I, I like people who are strong enough and are good enough at their craft to disrupt that craft. And Jack Johnson was one of those people. Uh, he was, he, he was the obvious um, contender for the heavyweight champ. And, you know, these days in the sport, you know, the, the people don't, the, the best don't fight the best for political reasons. Um, back then in the 19, early 1900s, that first decade of, of the 20th century, it wasn't even political. It was, they didn't fight the best for racial reasons in this instance. Um, he was not allowed to fight. There was a different world championship for, for black fighters and the world champion at the time, uh, refused to face him and he retired instead. So like, imagine like not even vacating a belt. My man just said, I'm out to sport. I rather, I rather retire from my career than to fight you. And so he eventually got a chance to fight somebody else and won the title. Uh, by him winning the title, uh, unfortunately led to race riots and a series of him having to fight people that promoters build as the great white hope. It just became completely a, a racial issue because he was just so good at his sport. That was literally all he did. Just be good at his sport and be black. Um, but he was great at it and his greatness and his unwillingness to bend is what made him such a legend. And, you know, I, I, I honestly wish that, I mean, it, it was a long time ago, but um, I wish the sport talked more about him because I had to kind of, and maybe, maybe I was the one under the rock, but I had to kind of dig to find some of the research that I found on him. But that's my first honorable mention. All right. I appreciate that, that you dropping that knowledge there as well. My number seven fighter is Felix Tito Trinidad. Um, when I first started watching Tito, it was when he won his IBF um, or he won IBF title against Maurice Blocker. And I remember them calling him the babyface assassin. So he had the title for several years, made over 10 title defenses with the IBF. Um, yeah, it just, this, I'm telling you, when you see Tito and the accuracy that he had, the pressure that he put on, how he got stronger as the fight um, progressed, like he was, he was an offensive machine. Um, the De La Hoya fight that he had, a lot of people think that we'll say De La Hoya won. I thought it was more so a draw because the way he came on strong at the end, and I, um, as we talked off the record before, I was saying how De La Hoya really just ran like the last four or five rounds. So, but I was always on, on, on Tito's side. So I might be a little bit biased in that regard as well. But then he had the David Reed fight. He moved up to junior uh, middleweight. Then he had the barn burner with Fernando Vargas. Man, like two or three knockdowns in the first round that he put on Vargas. Then a fourth round, Vargas turned a tie. Then a 12th round, he ended up viciously knocking out Vargas. After that, taking on the challenge of William Joppy, winning by fifth round knockout. And Joppy wasn't nothing to play with. It just was the fact that you had a great fighter going against a really good champion. 
and then unfortunately he had the um his reign ended when he stepped up to the plate and fought Bernard Hopkins. But as you see, as as far as what I'm saying is, you have a gentleman who's just taken on all of these challenges, never duck smoke whatsoever. Caliber of Dwight Muhammad Kawi, he took on a challenge and went 15 rounds with Dwight Muhammad Kawi um, very early in his career to take that cruiserweight belt. Um, so that's that's something that really impressed me. He never... Um, like will let you down when you saw a Vander Holyfield fight, you was gonna see some fireworks, you was gonna see um, you know, some brawling action. He wasn't coming there to play around. And speaking on that Tyson fight, what I recognized in that fight, um, and you're right, Lavelle, it was a lot of people thinking that that fight was going to end early, they thought it was gonna be a cakewalk. And Tyson, when he got out of prison, he was to me, I always thought it was going to be a competitive fight. I didn't know whether or not Tyson would be able to land something that knock Holyfield out, you know, if that was going to be the case. like that, And that quite possibly could have happened. But what I did know was unlike the guys that Tyson had fought once he got out of prison, that Holyfield was going to stand up to him. So, And that's what I wanted to see how Mike was going to respond to that. Like, you're not just going to touch Holyfield, he's going he gonna to fall down because he's intimidated. You're going to have to beat him up. Or you're gonna have to beat him, and he you're gonna have to force him to quit or whatever. He's not gonna quit, but you're gonna have to beat Holyfield. And so that's what I was wondering what was gonna happen once um somebody stood up to the bully. And that, and we saw what happened as a result of that. But um Devander Holyfield is my number six fighter. Okay, um my number six fighter. My yeah. number six, uh Iron Mike Tyson putting Mike Tyson on this list. Um, but one thing that's undeniable about Mike Tyson is I is I watch just about all of his fights. I've never seen Mike Tyson in a dog fight. Even a, a, a dog fight and a Mike Tyson fight is probably more exciting than everyone else's, you know, dog fights. I mean, it's always watchable. Something is always bound to happen. He ran in heavyweight in the 80s. Uh, regardless of, of whether people thought he was, you know, overrated or what have you, he dominated the '80s. I mean, he was running through guys, knocking them out. That that a lot of people even have 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 issues with. You know, uh, Bone Crusher Smith was a is a, a, a tough fight. You know, for anyone. You know, Michael Spinks. I mean, people may Michael Spinks is a legend in itself. I mean, even though Larry Holmes was uh, past it, he came back. He did what he had to do against Larry Holmes. No one still has is knocked Larry Holmes out <laughs> even before or after that time. So uh, sometimes Mike Tyson uh, can his his rankings can suffer from nostalgia. A lot of people like him because of, of what they saw. Some people even I've heard people say that he, you know he's the best of all time. Not this um, go that far, but I think he's one of the most exciting fighters I've, I've seen in my lifetime. And that's my number six, Iron Mike Tyson. Cool. Um, so my number five, who is my technical first favorite, if you will, was, uh, again, recent pick, but I'm going to go Bud Crawford. Reason being, um, I, I have a personal uh, sort of like an attachment to him because, you know, some of you guys can maybe resonate with this with with other fighters, but I feel like he's one of the first fighters I've seen sort of grow up as a fighter. 
You know, like I started watching boxing heavy in the past decade, and that's sort of when he's had his his sort of like ascension. Uh, the first fight I saw him was, was, I think it was Ricky Burns, if I'm not mistaken. But he was at 135. It was in it was in 2013, and I just I just liked his style. He he was a he was just a dog. He is like he takes pleasure in bringing out his opponents. He's one of the best fighters I personally seen that can excel fighting in both stances. Um, he was undisputed champ at both 135 and 140. Um, one could argue he may become an undisputed champ at 147. That remains to be seen. Um, but strictly because of my attachment to watching him sort of like coming to his own as a fighter, he has sort of like a special place on, on my list for that reason. All right. So my number five fighter <clears throat> is the hitman, Tommy, Thomas Hitman Hearns. So for me, I, I remember the first time seeing him was against Pepino Cuevas. I didn't see that fight live. I just remember it was another instance where it was an NFL game on Sunday. They went to um, some highlights of a boxing match, Howard Cosell, and they showed that fight when he landed those combinations on Pepino Cuevas knocking them out. And I'm like, who is this? And then eventually they had the build up for him and Sugar Ray. And so you know what the outcome of that fight was. But that was a huge fight. Also, um, him beating Benitez. Benitez should be on somebody's favorite list too, because he wasn't he was willing to take on all competition as well. Um then you had the oh, I thought he was I thought he killed Grant uh, when he hit him with that right hand. And then um taking on the challenge of Marvin Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Everybody know about the war on um in, in eighty four. But also even after that fight, Tommy Hearns is one of the few guys that I know that even when he took some of those knockout losses, he still was able to bounce back and not necessarily even reinvent himself. He just was still very talented, still very good. That didn't um, derail his career, you know? So even after the Hagler fight, I remember him going up to light heavyweight, taking on Dennis Andres. He came back down um, and then won the middleweight championship against Don, um, I mean, Juan Domingo Rodin. Now, one fight that, it, it, being a Tommy Hearns fan, you know that sometimes Tommy put himself in a situation where he would be vulnerable to get knocked out. And one time in particular, I remember him fighting Iran Barkley. And in that fight, he was killing Iran Barkley. I'm talking about, it was to the point where he was he kept hitting down with, with body shots. And I'm talking about, they were so loud. Boom! And he was folding Iran Barkley up. Out of nowhere, Iran Barkley landed a hook, knocked him clean out. And so after that loss, he was able to bounce back, go up to light heavyweight, beat Virgil Hill. And so just based on the fact that Tommy Hearns, just his talent, um, that power in that right hand, he was able to – he's also one of the few fighters that as he moved up in weight, he was able to maintain his power as well. You're talking about somebody always pretty much in an exciting fight. You're talking about Tommy Hearns. And the last thing I'm going to say about him, what I recognize is, is that although he was a power puncher with the right hand, I've never seen, and I think Emmanuel Stewart said this as well, I've never seen any, anybody ever outbox Tommy Hearns. If he chose to box you, 
you were not going to outbox him. And that includes guys like Sugar Ray Leonard, Benitez. They would have to come to him in order to get a victory. And so, again, my number five fighter is the hitman, Tommy Hearns. Uh, my number five fighter is Tommy Hitman Hearns. <laughs> well, for all the reasons that you said, um, you explained a lot. And, and, and I was thinking of like, okay, what can I say about Hearns? And I'm like, man, you hitting on it. And well, I may repeat some things, but I'll go through some of the stuff that I, I, that I definitely like. Um, it's definitely true that it's hard, it's very, very hard to find anyone who actually outboxed Tommy Hearns. He's a hard guy to outbox. If you if you wanted to beat him, you had to like take it to him and, and fight him and beat him. Like even that that's what I think that's what made Sugar Ray change in that fight. Sugar Ray knew the only way he was gonna win that fight is to sell out. If he was gonna get knocked out, he was gonna have to get knocked out. And that's the only way to beat Tommy Hearns is going to that that fear, going to that danger zone and know that you could possibly get hit with that right hand. That's it. You know, his his knockout of uh Roberto Duran's beautiful. I mean one of the best knockouts I've seen. I don't think I've ever seen Roberto Duran hit like that before or after. Um, and he's just, man, and, and also we, we already touched on this, but we can actually use this today even. like I like how losses really didn't affect him. He wasn't afraid to take on a, a challenge after a loss. He didn't really – he was, he was able to compartmentalize all of his losses. He didn't harp on it. He didn't say, I'm going to take an easier route. He, he went up the hard way. And I, I met, you know, Tommy Hearns a few times. Very nice guy, you know. Love, he loves to, to, to talk with you about his fights. And, and no matter who you are, if you don't know you, great guy. So that's my number five. Tommy Hitman Hearns. Cool. So uh, my number four, I have uh, Andre Ward. Andre Ward is sort of poetry and motion to me watching he his his speed his accuracy his ring iq is crazy uh he's a natural lefty but he fights an orthodox um he actually had an injury for a while um to his right shoulder that made him rely on his on his left hand more um so he had to switch to southpaw and occasionally land power punches so it's actually kind of crazy that even though he retired and went out undefeated it's crazy to imagine what he would have been like if he would have fought at 100% his whole career and if he never would have taken the time off uh, because of emotional issues and all that stuff. Because uh, there were there were years on, years upon a time where that he took off. Um, but, you know, he won a gold medal 2004. He was a lineal champ at super middleweight when he cleaned out 168 after the Super Series. Um, he was a unified champ at light heavyweight after, after moving up to fight Sergey Kovalev beat him twice and went out on top. And um, I, I felt vindicated because as I was doing my research on these fighters that are going to be on my list, I won't give away the rest of my list, but he studied two people that are also going to be on my list, um, which his style, it, 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 made, it made sense to me as to why he was the fighter that he was when I, when I saw that. Um, but yeah, Andre Ward is my number four. All right. So me... I'm almost going to really skip. Um, I'll tell you who my number four is, but Danny, you, he was part of your um, list. You already mentioned this this fighter, and that's uh, Muhammad Ali. Now, the only reason Muhammad Ali is not up higher on my list is because when I saw Ali, he was basically 
past his prime. Like he was old. And the first time I actually remember seeing him fight was against um that I can recall. I may have seen it seen him before. But I remember the Leon Spinks fight when he lost and then he regained his, his championship when he fought against Spinks the first time. He really wasn't in any shape. Now he tended to do that later in his career. If he didn't respect his opponent, then he wouldn't really get in the best of shape. But he ended up um, regaining the championship against Spinks. Then I saw him fight against Holmes. But what I'm talking about, even for him to be number four on my list as my favorite or favorite fourth, um, fourth most favorite fighter, is because, you know, the stance that he took for justice. And you mentioned some of these things already, so I'm not going to repeat that. But though, that's the reason why he's still so high on my list. But like I said, when I saw him, Ali was, was pretty old. Um, but he did um, make my number four um, most favorite fighter. So I'm going to leave it at that because, like I said, Danny, you, you touched on a lot of reasons why he makes the list. Okay, uh... My number four fighter is Roy Jones Jr. Uh, Roy Jones is probably one of the most athletically gifted fighters I've probably ever seen in my lifetime. That I didn't have to research. You know, I saw him growing up. I mean, he looked like magic. Uh, he took on some, he took on fights that he didn't have to take. I mean, he took on the Bernard. He fought Bernard Hopkins early. Bernard Hopkins took that risk. You know. And it's funny how a lot of people discounted Bernard Hopkins after that loss. You know, they didn't they didn't they didn't think he was good enough to even beat Tito after that, you know. So uh he fought Bernard Hopkins, he went up, uh he fought James Tony, who was only on who's also on my let on my list. Um that's one of his best wins in, in my opinion. Uh, James Tony was probably top five pound for pound. And you know, Roy went up went up in weight, fought James Tony, and not only beat him, but he pretty much won every round. I mean, he really put it on Tony, you know, and and Jones fought a lot of particular guys. You could say he missed a few, but that's a lot of the uh, European fighters that were overseas. But a lot of them, you can't really fall for that. A lot of American fighters didn't fight the British fighters like uh, Nigel Ben and uh, Chris Eubank. A lot of those guys wasn't in a rush to uh, to come over to America to take those fights. Um, but one guy who, who I, I thought he should have fought but didn't was uh, Gerald McClellan. I thought that would – I thought maybe they knew something because they – you know, Roy and, and Gerald, they, I believe they sparred before or they, and they were friends. So I believe that he knew something. I believe maybe his people knew something. But he never really wanted to get – just seemed interested in getting in the ring with Gerald McClellan. But even even so, he fought uh, Mattel, Mattel Griffin who um, – a very underrated fighter who a lot of people don't you don't hear a lot about, but he's we, we watch up Mattel Griffin. He's very skilled, and he actually did give Roy Jones some trouble. Uh, Roy didn't have to. He, he moved up to heavyweight. Uh, he fought John Ruiz. All right, so uh, my number three. Um, I had uh, Floyd Mayweather Jr. and. Uh, it's interesting because I, I didn't like him at first. I mean, I still don't really – him as a person is whatever, but I I really didn't appreciate him until I started boxing myself and saw how difficult it was to do what he what he does. And, and so, like, the mouth that I didn't like him for, the mouth 
it felt justified. Like it made sense why he talks the way he talks when I when I when I saw what it was like to even try to start to do these things in the ring. But um, he was a master craftsman, one of the best defensive fighters I've personally seen. Uh, very accurate. Would make very accurate fighters look very inaccurate. He retired 50 and 0. Uh, say what you want about that 50th win. But I mean, it's on his record, I guess. Uh, he had 15 major world titles across five divisions. Uh, he was lineal champ at four weight classes. So, I mean, the, the record speaks for itself. It's just a matter of, you know, really how much you like them. And this is a subjective list where I can choose. So, uh, Floyd made my number three. All right. So, it's on me. And this is the part. I, I don't I don't like this part because you guys keep saying my guys already. You, you, you're giving such good details about <laughs> the information that it leaves me no room to say much. But these are my top three. And I, I'm still going to, to talk a little bit about them because these guys were such favorites of mine that a lot of times when they fought after their fight, I felt like I had a fight. <laughs> I'm up, up <laughs> you know, bobbing and weaving. So my number three is going to be RJ Roy Jones Jr. And Roy Jones dropped to number three because just how much I was excited to see him in the ring when he was doing this thing at the highest level he would have your heart suck in so bad and, and and actually your heart would end up in your underwear after some of his losses. So let me, let me get to, so with, with Roy, uh, the first time my son was in the 88 Olympics and I, you know, that was in Seoul, Korea. And I remember he got robbed. And the situation with that was the fact that the people in South Korea, they were upset because in the 84 Olympics, they were saying that they were cheating for the United States. They kept getting, um, decision victories. So they said, well, you just wait till the 88 Olympics. And they cheated Roy. But it was it was so bad that the guy was embarrassed that they gave him the victory. So that was my first. And then Roy ended up getting like the top fighter um, of the Olympics, although they robbed him of the, Olymp of the Olympic gold medal. And so that, that uh, was the first time I actually saw him fight. Then I remember him fighting um, coming up when he came up, they were kind of calling him reluctant Roy because they were scared to put him in the ring with stiff competition. He really didn't get his first test until he fought Jorge Castro. And then he had the Bernard Hopkins fight after that. Then he beat James Tony. And then um, one of the most entertaining fights that I remember watching, um, and to me, this is when he started to enter his peak. Maybe, I, don't, I wouldn't even say Tony fight was his peak. I would say like, has the ends of fight? If you look at that fight, he's landing some vicious, hard, heavy punches. And he doesn't have to, like, brace himself. Like, he doesn't have to, like, reset. He's, he's, he'll, he'll land, like, five, six right hand, right crosses. And, it, I mean, it was just a thing of beauty. Then, in 1996, the, the last time, I, I didn't get a chance to see the fight that he had against Murky Sosa. Um, but that was a fight where he played a, game, a basketball game and then he actually fought the fight. But I didn't see that fight. It wasn't until, and I saw all of his fights, uh, McCallum. I saw the Montel Griffin fight, uh, which he destroyed Montel. That's Venice Roy. Like the, the trash talking afterwards, he was upset. And just like how cocky and arrogant he was. If you look at that post-fight interview after the Montel Griffin number two fight, 
that's the epitome of Roy Jones. That's him at his height. That's that, I want to do it. I want to do it. I didn't want to do it. All of that type of stuff. <laughs> then he um defeated Virgil Hill with that body shot. And then I actually had a chance to go see him fight um in nineteen ninety nine. It was it was June. It was in Biloxi, Mississippi. He was fighting Reggie Johnson. And I had some really good seats. Not that I was supposed to have some really good seats. You know, the, the statue of limitations on that, you know, seats that I got, you know, that they up so I can I can I can say that now. Um so when I um like I'm like the fifth, sixth row, right? And you can see Roy was landing, and this is a unification match. Right, so this is this is high level stuff, but he was just too fast for Reggie Johnson, and so he would hit Reggie, and he would get out of the way of whatever Reggie is supposed to throw, and then he's hitting him again before he's even throwing the punch that he was he might have threw in the first place, and so it was just really the, it, that that athleticism that he had was just amazing, and it was a certain point of his career. I didn't think he, anybody could beat him like ever, like that's how skilled he was that's how athletic he was um so then he, he he um ended up beating ruiz and then unfortunately you had the tarver fight um what tarver tell him during the uh during the, the after they touched love you got any excuses <laughs> <laughs> hey an interesting story about that right so again i told you marquis sosa was the last time that i i didn't see him fight and so the next time I didn't see him fight was that Antonio Tarver fight. And for whatever reason, I couldn't get the fight. And so I'm nervous, though. I'm like, dang, because, you know, the first fight, it was close or whatever. I just thought Roy needed to get himself back together after losing all of that weight. And I thought he'd be much better in the second fight. So, But I'm still nervous. So I said, you know what? The fight is about to start. I was talking to my boy. And... He, he, I went to Walmart. So I said, let me go ahead and get some, a couple things, a couple items, whatever. And, um, you know, I, by the time I get back home, maybe I can get like an update of the fight. So he was like, I'm going to hit you back. He's like, um, they're about to start. So I get, I go get some bread and I go get whatever else I got. As soon as I turn the corner, now I might have got maybe two or three hours in. He called me back. He said, man, he done got your boy. I'm like, what? So you got to imagine, like, Roy was that dude. You know what I mean? Like, that's mm -hmm. unimaginable that he's going to get knocked out. Now, maybe Tarver will win a decision or something. Like, maybe he hurt him a couple times or something. But I just never imagined Roy getting knocked out cold like that. And so then the next time I saw him fight was against Glenn Johnson. And I remember seeing that fight at a Hooters. So I went up there. And Roy, he was just getting outworked and outhustled the whole fight. I'll work, I'll hustle. And so I'm like, man, is he going to like try to do something, you know, generate a comeback towards the end of the fight? And then boom, that right hand put him to sleep. And he was like out for like four or five minutes. Interesting thing about that is that it was another guy there. So while Roy is down there on the ground, he was like, you know, he making jokes. Like, oh, he's asleep. He that, this and that. Saying all that to say, it was almost another main event up in there that night after he was talking that noise because I was about to get at him. But that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, number Roy is my number three fighter of all time. Favorite fighter of all time. 
my number three favorite fighter of all time is Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay. Um, what can I say about what hasn't been said? Um, of course, this is a favorites list, but even if this is a top ten. If if this is a top ten uh, boxes of all time list, Muhammad Ali has to be in that top ten or near the top. Now he's not my, the, in my opinion, he's not the number one best fighter of all time. But I never argue with anyone who would say that, you know, because he's earned it. Uh, when people talk about the best of all time, he's earned it. And what I mean by that is, there isn't not one heavyweight during his time in the sixties and in the sixties and seventies that he did not fight. Like not top ten heavyweight, he fought literally every look. Look at the top ten heavyweights of those times. All the top heavyweights of those times, he fought them all. And, we, and it's like there's no one that he that he can say that he ducked or for whatever reason, you know. He fought uh, um, Floyd Patterson. You know, a lot of these guys were good fighters. Floyd Patterson, he beat Floyd Patterson. And he fought him more than once. Floyd Patterson twice. Sonny Liston, which is like uh, a beast. He beat Sonny Liston twice. Uh, he fought uh, the, um, Joe Frazier three times. I mean, he had trouble with, a little trouble with Joe Frazier. But still, Joe Frazier would give it any – Joe Frazier that beat Muhammad Ali would probably give it anybody. Uh, he fought Ken Norton, um, George Foreman, Ernie Shavers, who's like – if you don't like pain, you duck Ernie Shavers. And he fought Ernie Shavers, took those, those punches. Um, even at the end of his career, he didn't have to take those fights. Uh, whether it was for money or what, he took those tough fights against Larry Holmes. You know, and that's a fight that that yes, it's sad to see. But if anyone wants to say that Muhammad Ali is the greatest of all time, he earned the right to call himself the greatest. And my that's my number three, Muhammad Ali. Cool. Um, so my number two, um. And I, I'm going to explain why he's my number two. But I had uh, some of you may know him as the executioner. Some of you may know him as the alien. But uh, my guy, Bernard Hopkins. Uh, so he was the first live fight that I saw ever. And so it was uh, in 20, it was late, but it was 2014. It was at the DC Armory when he fought uh, Shumanov, I believe. He unified the, the belt at 175 then. But um, in terms of his skill set, he's a highly strategic, defensive boxer. He has he has speed and power, counter punching, very good at counter punching. Um, all these skills combined increase his longevity, and that's really a testament to being able to do what he did at his age. Because uh, at eight, even at age forty, he he that's when he reached the middleweight record of uh, twenty title defenses which is kind of unheard of because you have somebody like, and this is no slight to him, this is more a testament to, to uh, Bernard Hopkins. But Triple G is someone who has been a career middleweight and has shown a decline in his later 30s. And so for Bernard Hopkins to, to be able to have that many defenses is, is pretty unheard of. And um, I, I think that we as fans can sometimes take for granted because all these boxers are are at such a high skill level and because and, and they all fight each other but it's kind of crazy to be able to imagine someone doing it at his age let alone uh at 50 
which is when the last time he fought. But um, yeah, that's that's what I, I, I. Some of you may have him, so I, I don't want to say too much more. But uh, that's that's what I had in my number two. Cool. All right. So my number two is actually Floyd Money Mayweather. Um, okay. Slash Pretty Boy. And again, he's another person that you had on your list. You did a wonderful job of explaining um, a lot of things about Floyd. Um, I really won't add on too much because Floyd is so recent and so current. Most people know about Floyd. Um, So I don't think it's any reason for me to elaborate too much on him. I just know that, you know, the first time I checked him out was in that um, Olympics game, Olympic games in, in 96. And seeing him, at that time, it's remarkable how far he came. Because even though I remember saying, I knew he was good, I never thought that he would be as good as he became. Like, not even close. I just thought he was just going to be a good fighter. But that's just a testament to what they say, hard work and dedication. Um, I never uh, minded the like the flashy, flamboyant style that or, or mantra that he, he um, developed throughout the course of his career because I understand that that has a lot to do with showmanship and, you know, trying to, you know, put out there that you have this flashy lifestyle. So you need to get compensated based on the lifestyle that you you live. So I, I never really got too caught up into that. I just like his style. I, I like the fact that he used to fight clean fights. Like he can be in there and he can, um, he just know how to position his body where he'll give a fighter an angle where they can't get anything off. You know, he just know the nuances of the game. And so if I was a boxer or if I had somebody I was training, he would be the person that I want them to like emulate to a certain degree their style, you know, because he's not going to get hit too much. He um, knows how to, when to throw his punches. He knows, he just knows all of the nuances and intricacies of the game. And so, for that reason, Floyd is my number two fighter of all time. Okay, my number two fighter of all time is Homicide Henry Armstrong. This is a fighter I love to, to research. I love to read about him. I love to watch him. I love to look up clips of him. It's interesting because you look, you see, you see him fight. You see clips of him fighting. He doesn't really look. That that skill or look that impressive. You have to know what you're looking at. He looks like an inside brawler, inside fighter brawler. But you gotta look at look behind that. That he's he's only what five foot five, actually 140, 140 pounds. He held the featherweight, lightweight, and welterweight championship at the same time. Three of those belts at the same and defending them at the same time. And we're talking when there's only eight weight classes. And one belt per weight class. Today, that's like someone winning all the belts at 126, all the belts at 130, all the belts at 135, all the belts at 140, and all the belts at 147, and running those weight classes and defending them all at the same time. And even towards the end of his career, he, he moves up at 147. At the, the downside of his career, he fights the greatest boxer of all time, Sugar Ray Robinson, and doesn't get knocked out. And this is a guy who's 5'5", five five, 140 pounds, soaking wet, fighting a guy that's 5'11", who's basically like 5'11", you know, almost like a, a, a Tommy Hearns level as far as 
knocking people out and, and boxing the Billy. Uh, Henry Armstrong, he doesn't get a lot of respect when, 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 as far as you know, boxing fans. But he's, he's for me, he's like either number two or sometimes even number one fighter of all time. I mean, he earned it. I mean, he he did his thing. I mean, and he put and to, to add on to that, at that size, he fought for the middleweight championship in a fight that that that, that many say he he, he should have won. You know, and, and he had a draw with that and didn't get that title. That's it. it Incredible for a man to fight from and have no excuse about it. And that's my number two homicide Henry Armstrong. All right. So we 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 down to our number ones. And you know what? Honestly, I didn't know that my number one was my number one until I sort of thought about it and started making this list. And I was like, huh, I guess it is my number one. But um I gotta go with my guy, Pac-Man. And the reason why, again, not, you know, me being a fan for as long as I have, I just go off of a lot of sentimental memories here. And so his 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 fight against Hatton was kind of the reason I got into boxing. I didn't, I, I, I went to my friend's house. I didn't expect to be watching boxing, but the fight was on. Uh, it was a second round knockout, I believe. And I was like, what did I just watch? His his you know he's the best southpaw boxer I personally ever seen. His hand speed and his footwork is out of this world. I said it in the last podcast, but he's eight division champ, twelve major world championships, the first boxer to ever become a four decade world champ, uh, which is also nuts. Um, and yeah, I mean I have to credit him as my number one because. There's a chance that I, if if I didn't see that fight, I might not be watching. I might not have become a boxing fan. I might not have become, uh, might not have participated in the sport. And and even through the years, you know, just seeing him, uh, continue to age, you you always think, you always wonder, is you know, is this the last fight? It was the last fight. The last fight we see it with Pacquiao at the elite level, and he continues to to impress like his fight last time against Keith Thurman. He looked very good against whose people had a number one at what to wait for a long time at, at his age. I believe he was Pacquiao might've been 38, 39 at the time of that fight, uh, which is nuts. And so, you know, for him to have participated in the sport for four decades and to still be fighting some of the top and, and beating, you know, top two, three, four fighters, and one of the most stacked divisions in boxing is just a testament to his longevity. All right. So they say the definition of favorite or definition. Yeah, definition of favorite is preferred before all others of the same kind. So if that's the definition of favorite. My favorite boxer of all time is Pernell Sweet Pete Whitaker. And so I began um, to watch Floyd, not Floyd, Pernell, that 84 Olympics, you know, just like Breland and just like Holyfield um, and some of those other guys, Milchick Taylor, um, they had a really good Olympic team. And I remember, well, I, I'll get to that in a second. I also remember seeing him on ABC Fights, um, Alex Wallow. Um, they used to have a series and 
remember seeing him fight against Roger Mayweather. That was that was a really good fight. And so I always just was fascinated with his slippery ability, his his ability to get low, and um, he, he had a lot of tricks inside the ring um, as well. So I, that always just you know he he if you look at him on the screen, it's like he jumps out at you on the screen just based on his skill, you know. And so. Also, I remember that disappointing, controversial decision that he had against Jose Luis Ramirez. I want to say that was in France. That was around the same time the Tour de France was out around that same time. Greg Lamont was winning, the, um, winning that race. And so he ended up losing that summer. But then he ended up fighting against Jose Luis Ramirez again, and he defeated him. Um, he, he, but he, basically what he did in the second fight is he decided to be more stationary a little bit more. Still elusive, but he wasn't like just boxing and moving as much as he was before. But he won the first fight easily. But the second fight was at the scope in Norfolk and he ended up um reversing that earlier controversial loss. Then the other time, um and he he like you said, uh Vail, he defeated Azuma Nelson, you know, a host of other fighters. But the big one on his resume was that Julio Cesar Chavez fight in San Antonio in 93. That was for all of the marbles. Because I remember before that fight, Sweet Pete ended up having a fight against Buddy McGirt. And that was a really close fight. Sweet Pete kind of um, began to figure him out and won like the, the last part of the fight, which enabled him to get the victory. And Buddy McGirt was a tough, tough home break. Um, but after the fight, they were saying, you know that you have Julio Cesar Chavez. The fight has already been made. He didn't know. He was like, I didn't know that news, but that's good news. You know, he's always looking to seek out a challenge. And that's another thing that I respected about Sweet Pete. So in that fight, I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, he beat Julio Cesar Chavez, but they call it a draw. And so that was to see who was the number one powerful pound fighter in the world. I think before the fight, they had Chavez. But then when the Ring magazine came out afterwards, they put uh, Whitaker on the cover. He had his hand up with number one on there. And then in their rating, they moved him to number one. So even though they said it was a draw, everybody knew who actually won that fight. And so, you know, he, he just was my favorite fighter. He talking about somebody. When I said this, that's what I was thinking about. When I said that sometimes when these fighters fight, especially the ones on the top of my list, I felt like I really was in the fight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Whitaker would be in there uh, throwing those punches. Um, and he was a tough little dude. Like some people just think that he was a boxer, but no, nah, he was tough as nails. Um, I remember the De La Hoya fight, you know, that was close. I thought that, that one could have went either way. The only loss that I really think that he had outside of the Carlos Barocas fight, which he messed up his arm and he had no business being in there because he was too old and he should have been trying to come back at the age of 37, was that Tito fight. That's the only legitimate time that I, I thought for Nell Sweet Pete Whitaker, he lost the fight. You can honestly say that, that that's a loss right there. But um, outside of that, man, you know, I just had so much respect for him, his fight game, his, his um, talents, um, just who he was as a person. And, you know, unfortunately, he passed away, um, I want to say it was last year, last summer. But before he, he 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 was involved in that car accident, it was he he meant so much to me that we went. You know, I'm not from this area, 
So I had a chance to go to Virginia Beach for the first time last summer, or it could have been either May or June last year. So we went out there. But on the way back, seeing the sign that said Norfolk, I made sure that I went and stopped past the scope just on the strength of sweepy. I was like, so I get in there, I'm like, fight. Um, but yeah, Sweepy Whitaker, that's my number one fighter of all time. That's my before all others. But no Sweepy Whitaker. Uh, my favorite fighter, most preferred of all time, is none other other than marvelous Marvin Hagler. Um, Marvin Hagler is probably is actually the reason I probably started watching boxing. Like, even in the eighties, when um, I didn't watch a lot of sports, but when I when I was boxing, that's the person I watched. That's the first person I, I came across. That's the first person I was like, I can identify with this guy. Like he just, you know, he wasn't afraid of anybody. He was mean. He, he he wasn't about to flash. You know, to this day, I'm still you know a little hurt, salty about that Sugar Ray Leonard loss. I mean, I mean, what can I say? Sugar Ray Leonard is is a great. But that loss still hurts today. I, I I see different things each time I watch the fight. But I what well, one thing's the same. I do not like revisiting that fight. But Marvin Hagler could do it all. I mean, he could brawl, he could box. I mean, a lot of his boxing ability was underrated. I mean, uh, he didn't have a problem taking on any grace he wanted to, to, to challenge himself. He didn't have a problem brawling with brawlers like like Tommy Hearns. Like who? Tries to brawl with Tommy Hearns. Not at that time, you know. He went in there. He we went at Tommy Hearns. He 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 took those shots. I mean, he took that right hand. I mean, I still get chills when I when I when I watch the fight. I I, I see that 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 right hand right hit right on Hagler's the side of Hagler's head, and Nelson was like, "Oh, he's hurt." It's it still gives me chills, even though I know the outcome of that fight. Um, then he fought uh, John Mugabe, who's underrated tough guy, you know. I mean, it was a real, really tough fight, brutal fight. Um, but Marvin Hagler, you know, the funniest thing about Mar- Marvin Hagler, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, the irony about it is uh, the first time I've seen him outside of boxing, <laughs> I've been watching the episode of Punky Bruce, and he was on there. <laughs> and he was on there with his, <laughs> his, his belt. He's parading around his belt. And he, he taught Punky Bruce how to, how to box, to stand up to bullies. And right there and there, I was like, that's my guy. That's my guy, right? That's my favorite fighter, um, Marvelous Marvin Hatton. Absolutely. Um, so if, if that's it, we're going to wrap things up for this week. Uh, but do us a favor. You can go ahead and check out our last week episode where we talked about our top 10 current pound-for-pound fighters. Uh, we used a objective uh, criteria um, for that list. So you can check that out. Um, and then also follow us next week because the show that we're going to or what we're going to discuss next week's on next week's episode is we're going to predict the up and coming fights um, for this year. All right. See you next time.